Section 20 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649, by John Winthrop. Section 20, 1645. Part 1. 12, February 17. Mr. Allerton, coming from New Haven in a catch, with his wife and diverse other persons, were taken in a great storm at northeast with much snow, and cast away at situate, but the persons all saved. 12th, February 16. The winter was very mild hitherto, and no snow lay, so as ploughs might go most part of the winter, but now there fell so great a snow in several days, as the ways were unpassable for three weeks, so as the court of assistance held not, the magistrates and juries not coming to Boston, one for march being the usual day for that court and with all the weather was cold and the frost as fierce as is at any time of the winter and the snow was not off the ground till the end of the first month sixteen forty five two april six two great fires happened this week one at salem mr downing having built a new house at his farm he being gone to england and his wife and family gone to the church meeting upon the lord's day the chimney took fire and burnt down the house and bedding apparel and household to the value of two hundred pounds the other was at roxbury this day john johnson the surveyor general of the ammunition a very industrious and faithful man in his place having built a fair house in the midst of the town with diverse barns and other outhouses it fell on fire in the daytime no man knowing by what occasion and there being in it seventeen barrels of the country's powders and many arms all was suddenly burnt and blown up to the value of four or five hundred pounds or in a special providence for god appeared for he being from home the people came together to help and many were in the house no man thinking of the powder till one of the company put them in mind of it whereupon they all withdrew and soon after the powder took fire and blew up all about it and shook the houses in boston and cambridge so as men thought it had been an earthquake and carried great pieces of timber a great way off and some rags and other such light things beyond boston meeting-house there being then a stiff gale at south it drove the fire from the other houses in the town for this was the most northerly otherwise it had endangered the greatest part of the town this loss of our powder was the most observable in two respects one because the court had not taken that care they ought to pay for it having been owing for diverse years two in that at the court before they had refused to help our countrymen in virginia who had written to us for some for their defence against the indians and also to help our brethren of plymouth in their want mr wheelwright being removed from exeter to wells the people remaining fell at variance among themselves some would gather a new church and call old mr bachelor from hampton to be their pastor and for that purpose appointed a day and gave notice thereof to the magistrates and churches but the court understanding of their divisions and present unfitness for so solemn and sacred a business sent and wrote to them by way of direction only to desist for that time and not to proceed until upon satisfaction given to this court or the court at ipswich of the reconciliation they might proceed with allowance of authority according to order to this they submitted and did not proceed the question about seekunk now rehoboth being revived this court whether it should belong to this jurisdiction upon the submission of the purchasers etc or to plymouth by right of their patent the court by order referred it to the judgment of the commissioners of the union who decreed it for plymouth with reservation if better evidence should appear by the next meeting some malignant spirits began to stir and declare themselves for the king etc whereupon an order was made to restrain such courses and to prevent all such turbulent practices either by action word or writing the court ordered letters of thanks to be sent to mr richard andrews of london haberdasher for his gift of five hundred pounds and to the lady armine for her gift of twenty pounds per annum 
and to the lady of Wilson for her gift, which was done accordingly by the committee appointed. Footnote. The last two gifts were to the college. Andrews had before shown himself generous. Lady Armine, granddaughter of the Earl of Shrewsbury, was wife of Sir William Armine, associated with Vane in the negotiation of the Solemn League and Covenant with the Scots, and a statesman of eminence. Lady Mileson had, in 1643, by a gift of one hundred pounds, founded the first scholarship in Harvard College. She was the daughter of a London alderman and widow of a Lord Mayor. Her maiden name was Anne Radcliffe. Radcliffe College has been named for her. In footnote. Upon advice from Mr. Weld, remaining still at London, a commission was sent under the public seal to Mr. Pocock and diverse other our friends in London to this effect. One, to answer for us upon all such occasions as may be presented to the Parliament or any other court or officer concerning us or our affairs, but not to engage us without our consent. Two, to receive all letters and other dispatches of public nature or concernment from us. Three, to advise us of all occurrence as may happen touching our colony. Fourth, to receive all money or other things due to us from any person in England, by gift or otherwise, and to dispose of them by direction under our public seal. Mr. John Winthrop the Younger, coming from England two years since, brought with him one thousand pounds stock and diverse workmen to begin an ironwork, and had moved the court for some encouragement to be given the undertakers, and for the court to join in carrying on the work, etc. The business was well approved by the court, as a thing much conducing to the good of the country, but we had no stock in the treasury to give furtherance to it. Only some two or three private persons joined in it, and the court granted the adventurers near all their demands as a monopoly of it for twenty-one years, liberty to make use of any six places not already granted, and to have three miles square in every place to them and their heirs, and freedom from public charges, trainings, etc., and this was now sent them over under the public seal this year. Footnote. These mining operations prove successful, or in considerable amounts being obtained. The enterprise receives much notice in the public records. Boston Town Records, Second Report of the Record Commissioners, 1877, Volume 1, page 77, 91, 92, 127. Records of Massachusetts, Volume 2, 61, March 7, 1643-4. In footnote. The court, finding that the over-number of deputies drew out the courts into great length, and put the country to excessive charges, so as some one court hath expended more than two hundred pounds, etc., did think fit to have fewer deputies, and so to have only five or six out of each shire. And because the deputies were still unsatisfied with the magistrate's negative vote, the magistrates consented to lay it down, so as the deputies might not exceed them in number, and those to be the prime men of the country, to be chosen by the whole shires, but they agreed first to know the mind of the country. But upon trial, the greater number of towns refused it, so it was left for this time. At this court, in the third month, Passaconaway, the chief sachem of Merrimack, and his sons came and submitted themselves and their people and lands under our jurisdiction, as Pumham and others had done before. Mr. Shepherd, the pastor of the church in Cambridge, being at Connecticut when the commissioners met there for the United Colonies, moved them for some contribution of help towards the maintenance of poor scholars in the college, whereupon the commissioners ordered that it should be commended to the deputies of the general courts and the elders within the several colonies to raise, by way of voluntary contribution, one pack of corn or twelve pence money or other commodity of every family, which those of Connecticut presently performed. 5th July 3rd. By order of the general court, upon advice with the elders, a general fast was kept. The occasions were the miseries of England and our own differences in the general court and also for the great drought. In this latter, the Lord prevented our prayers in sending us rain soon after and before the day of humiliation came. 
Diverse free schools were erected, as at Roxbury, for maintenance whereof every inhabitant bound some house or land for a yearly allowance forever, and at Boston, where they made an order to allow forever fifty pounds to the master in an house, and thirty pounds to an usher, who should also teach to read and write and cipher, and Indians' children were to be taught freely, and the charge to be by yearly contribution, either by voluntary allowance, or by right of such as refused, etc., and this order was confirmed by the general court, blank. Other towns did the like, providing maintenance by several means. Footnote. This passage is of interest as referring to the origin in New England of the common school, which may be traced farther back than the present date. In the Boston Town Records, page 5, April 13, 1635, Philemon Pormont is mentioned as entreated to undertake a school, and next year comes a list of subscribers headed by Henry Vane, the governor. For reference to the sources of the common school system, see Windsor, Memorial History of Boston, Volume 1, page 123, in footnote. By agreement of the commissioners and the motions of the elders in their several churches, every family in each colony gave one peck of corn or twelve pence to the college at Cambridge. 1. March 25. Another strange accident happened by fire about this time. One Mr. Peck and three others of Hingham, being about with others to remove to Seekonk, which was concluded by the commissioners of the United Colonies to belong to Plymouth, riding thither, they sheltered themselves and their horses in an Indian wigwam, which by some occasion took fire, and, although they were all four in it, and labored to their utmost, etc., burnt three of their horses to death, and all their goods to the value of fifty pounds. Also some children were killed, and others sore scorched, with wearing clothes of cotton, which was very apt to take fire, and hard to be quenched. So as one man of Watertown being so clothed, and taking fire by endeavoring to save his house being on fire, was forced to run into a well to save his life. 2. April 13. Mr. Hopkins, the governor of Hartford upon Connecticut, came to Boston and brought his wife with him, a godly young woman and of special parts, who has fallen into a sad infirmity, the loss of her understanding and reason, which had been growing upon her diverse years, by occasion of her giving herself wholly to reading and writing, and had written many books. Her husband, being very loving and tender of her, was loath to grieve her, but he saw his heir when it was too late. For if she had attended her household affairs, and such things as belonged to women, and not gone out of her way and calling to meddle in such things as are proper for men, whose minds are stronger, etc., she had kept her wits, and might have improved them usefully and honorably in the place God had set her. He brought her to Boston, and left her with her brother, one Mr. Yale, a merchant, to try what means might be had here for her, but no help could be had." Footnote. Mrs. Hopkins was aunt of Elihu Yale, founder of Yale University. In footnote. The governor and assistants met at Boston to consider what might lawfully be done for saving Latour and his four out of the hands of D'Alny, who is now before it with all his strength, both of men and vessels. So soon as we were met, word was brought us that a vessel sent by some merchants to carry provisions to Latour was fallen into the hands of D'Alny, who had made prize of her, and turned the men upon an island, and kept them there ten days, and then gave them an old chalup, not above two tons, and some provisions to bring them home, but denied them their clothes, etc., which at first he had promised them, and any gun or compass, whereby it was justly conceived that he intended they should perish, either at sea or by the Indians who were at hand, and chased them next day, etc. Upon this news we presently dispatched away a vessel to Alnea with letters, wherein we expostulated with him about this act of his, complaining of it as a breach of the articles of our peace, and required the vessel and goods to be restored, or satisfaction for them. We gave answer also to some charges he laid upon us in a letter lately written to our governor, carried on in very high language, as if we had hired the ships, which carried home the Lady Latour, 
and had broken our articles by a bare sufferance of it etc which caused us to answer him accordingly that he might see we took notice of proud terms and were not afraid of him and whereas he oft threatened us with the king of france's power etc we answered that we did acknowledge him to be a mighty prince but we conceived withal he would continue to be just and would not break out against us without hearing our answer or if he should yet new england has a god who is able to save us and did not use to forsake his servant etc so soon as he had set our men upon an island in a deep snow without fire and only a sorry wigwam for the shelter he carried his ship up close to latour's fort supposing they would have yielded it up to him for the friars and other their confederates whom the lady presently upon her arrival had sent away had persuaded him that he might easily gain the place latour being come into the bay and not above fifty men left in it and little powder and that decayed also but after they had moored their ship and began to let fly at the fort with their ordnance they within behaved themselves so well with their ordnance that they tear his ship so as he was forced to warp her on shore behind a point of land to save her from sinking for the wind coming easterly they could not bring her forth and they killed as one of his own men reported twenty of his men and wounded thirteen more the governor and assistants had used for ten or eleven years at least to appoint one to preach on the day of election but about three or four years since the deputies challenged it as their right and accordingly had twice made the choice the magistrates still professing it to be a mere intrusion etc and now at the last general court in october they had given order to call mr norton to that service never acquainting the magistrates therewith and about some two months before the time the governor and diverse others of the magistrates not knowing anything of what the deputies had done agreed upon mr norris of salem and gave him notice of it but at this meeting of the magistrates it grew a question whether of these two should be employed seeing both had been invited and both were prepared at last it was put to vote and that determined it upon mr norton the reason was the unwillingness of the magistrates to have any fresh occasion of contestation with the deputies but some judge did a failing especially in one or two who had already joined in calling mr norris and a betraying or at least weakening the power of the magistrates and a countenancing of an unjust usurpation for the deputies could do no such act as an act of court without the concurrence of the magistrates and out of court they had no power at all but only for regulating their own body and it was resolved and voted at last court according to elders advice that all occurrence out of court belonged to the magistrates to take care of being the standing council of the commonwealth one of our ships which went to the canaries with pipe staves in the beginning of november last returned now and brought wine and sugar and salt and some tobacco which he had at barbados in exchange for africos which he carried from the isle of mayo footnote a man of winthrop's generation took such slave trading as is here referred to as the ordinary course of business the isla de mayo was one of the cape verde islands in footnote she brought us news that a ship of ours of about two sixty tons set out from cambridge before winter was set upon near the canaries by an irish man-of-war footnote the harbors of england especially old kinsale became in the civil war refuges for the king's ships which are described as irish in footnote which had seventy men and twenty pieces of ordnance whereas ours had but fourteen pieces and not above thirty men and the irishmen grappled with her ship and boarded her and fought with her side by side near a whole day but falling off a shot of ours had taken off their steerage so as they could not bring their ship to ours again but we received a shot under water which had near sunk our ship but the lord preserved her and our men so as we had but two slain in all that time and some four wounded but the damage of the ship and her merchandise was between two and three hundred pounds we had tidings also of another of our ships of the lake force set out from boston 
which the Earl of Marlborough had lain in wait for at the Midera as a good time, and with a ship of great force, but it pleased the Lord to send him away the very day before our ship arrived there. The wars in England kept servants from coming to us, so as those we had could not be hired when their times were out, but upon unreasonable terms, and we found it very difficult to pay their wages to their content, for money was very scarce. I may upon this occasion report a passage between one of Rowley and his servant. The master, being forced to sell a pair of his oxen to pay his servant his wages, told the servant he could keep him no longer, not knowing how to pay him the next year. The servant answered he would serve him for more of his cattle. But how shall I do, saith the master, when all my cattle are gone? The servant replied, You shall then serve me, and so you may have your cattle again. Footnote. This passage, perhaps, approached the humorous more nearly than anything else in the journal. Winthrop, state and aristocratic, writes in the margin opposite, quote, insolent, end quote, in footnote. A village was erected near Lynn and called Reading, another village erected between Salem and Gloucester and called Manchester. Among other benefactors to this colony, one union butcher or clothier near Cranbrook and Kent did, for diverse years together in a private way, send over a good quantity of cloth to be disposed of to some godly poor people. The government of Plymouth sent one of their magistrates, Mr. Brown, to Aquaday Island, forbid Mr. Williams, etc., to exercise any of their pretended authority upon the island, claiming it to be within their jurisdiction. Footnote. Savage's note may be quoted. Quote, I rejoice in the defeat of this futile claim by Plymouth, and equally rejoice in the ill success of the attempt by our own people mentioned in the next paragraph. In quote. In footnote. Our court also sent to forbid them to exercise any authority within that part of our jurisdiction at Patuxent and Mishimowet, and although they had boasted to do great matters there by virtue of their charter, yet they dared not attempt anything. 3. May 14. The court of elections was held at Boston. Mr. Thomas Dudley was chosen governor, Mr. Winthrop deputy governor again, and Mr. Endicott sergeant major general. Mr. Israel Stone, having been in England the year before, and now gone again about his private occasions, was by vote left out, and Herbert Pelham, Esquire, chosen an assistant. The court fell out a troublesome business, which took up much time. The town of Hingham, having won Ames, their lieutenant, seven or eight years, had lately chosen him to be their captain, and had presented him to the standing council for allowance. But before it was accomplished, the greater part of the town took some light occasion of offense against him, and chose one Allen to be their captain, and presented him to the magistrates, in the time of the last general court, to be allowed. But the magistrates, considering the injury that would hereby accrue to Ames, who had been their chief commander so many years, and had deserved well in his place, and that Allen had no other skill but what he learned from Ames, refused to allow of Allen, but willed both sides to return home, and every officer to keep his place until the court should take further order. Upon their return home, the messengers, who came for Allen, called a private party of those of their own party, and told them truly what answer they received from the magistrates, and soon after they appointed a training day without their lieutenant's knowledge, and being assembled, the lieutenant hearing of it came to them, and would have exercised them as he was wont to do, but those of the other party refused to follow him, except he would show them some order for it. He told them of the magistrate's order about it. The others replied that authority had advised him to go home and lay down his place honorably. Another asked, what the magistrate had to do with them, another that it was but three or four of the magistrates, and if they had all been there, it had been nothing, for Mr. Allen had brought more for them from the deputies than the lieutenant had from the magistrates. Another of them professes he will die at the sword's point if he might not have the choice of his own officers. Another, viz. the clerk of the band, 
stands up above the people and requires them to vote whether they would bear them out and what was past and what was to come. This being assented unto, and the tumult continuing, one of the officers, he who had told them that authority had advised the lieutenant to go home and lay down his place, required Allen to take the captain's place. But he not then accepting it, they put it to a vote whether he should be their captain. The vote passing for it, he then told the company it was now past question, and thereupon Allen accepted it and exercised the company two or three days. Only about a third part of them followed the lieutenant. He, having denied in the open field that authority had advised him to lay down his place, and putting, in some sort, the lie upon those who had so reported, was the next Lord's Day called to answer it before the church, and he standing to maintain what he had said, five witnesses were produced to convince him. Some of them affirmed the words, and others explained their meaning to be, that one magistrate had so advised him. He denied both. Whereupon the pastor, one Mr. Hubbard, footnote, Peter Hobart, Hubbard, or Hubbard, so strenuous in this teapot tempest in Hingham, which became the occasion of such a difference between the magistrates and the democracy, was a scholar of Magdalene College, Cambridge. He became minister of Hingham in 1635, where he remained nearly 45 years. Five sons, four of them divines, were educated at Harvard. Few New England names have spread more widely appear in more honorable connections. In footnote, brother to three of the principal in this edition, was very forward to have excommunicated the lieutenant presently, but upon some opposition it was put off to the next day. Therefore the lieutenant, and some three or four more of the chief men of the town, informed four of the next magistrates of these proceedings, who forthwith met at Boston about it, viz. the deputy governor, the sergeant major general, the secretary, and Mr. Hibbins. These, considering the case, sent warrant to the constable to attach some of the principal offenders, viz. three of the Hubbards and two more, to appear before them at Boston to find sureties for their appearance at the next court, etc., Upon the day they came to Boston, but their said brother, the minister, came before them, and fell to expostulate with the said magistrate about the said cause, complaining about the complainants as tale-bearers, etc., taking it very disdainfully that his brethren should be sent for by a constable with other high speeches, which were so provoking, as some of the magistrates told him, that, were it not for respect to his ministry, they would commit him. When his brethren and the rest were come in, the matters of the information were laid to their charge, which they denied for the most part said so they were bound over, each for other, to the next court of assistance. After this, five others were sent for by summons. These were only for speaking on truths of the magistrates in the church. They came before the deputy governor, when he was alone, and demanded the cause of their sending for, and to know their accusers. The deputy told them so much of the cause as he could remember, and referred them to the secretary for a copy, and for their accusers he told them they knew both the men and the matter, Neither was a judge bound to let a criminal offender know his accusers before the day of trial, but only in his own discretion, lest the accuser might be taken off or perverted, etc. Being required to give bond for their appearance, etc., they refused. The deputy labored to let them see their error, and gave them time to consider of it. About fourteen days after, seeing two of them in the court, which was kept by those four magistrates for smaller causes, the deputy required them again to enter bond for their appearance, etc., and upon their second refusal committed them in that open court. The general court falling out before the court of assistance, the Hubbards and two which were committed, and others of Hingham, about ninety, where of Mr. Hubbard their minister was the first, presented a petition to the general court to this effect, that whereas some of them had been bound over, and others committed by some of the magistrates for words spoken concerning the power of the general court and their liberties, and the liberties of the church, etc., they craved that the court would hear their cause, etc. 
This was first presented to the deputies, who sent it to the magistrates, desiring their concurrence with them that the cause might be heard, etc. The magistrates, marveling that they would grant such a petition, without desiring conference first with themselves, whom it so much concerned returned answer, that they were willing the cause should be heard, so as the petitioners would name the magistrates whom they intended, and the matters they would lay to their charge, etc. Upon this the deputies demanded of the petitioners' agents, who were then deputies of the court, to have satisfaction in those points. Thereupon they singled out the deputy governor, and two of the petitioners undertook the prosecution. Then the petition was returned again to the magistrates for their consent, who, being desirous that the deputies might take notice, how prejudicial to authority and the honor of the court it would be to call a magistrate to answer criminally in a cause, wherein nothing of that nature could be laid to his charge, and that without any private examination proceeding, did intimate so much to the deputies, though not directly yet plainly enough, showing them that nothing criminal, etc., was laid to his charge, and that the things objected were the act of the court, etc., yet if they would needs have a hearing they would join in it. And indeed it was the desire of the deputy, knowing well how much himself and the other magistrates did suffer in the cause, through the slanderous reports wherewith the deputies in the country about had been possessed, that the cause might receive a public hearing. The day appointed being come, the court assembled in the meeting-house at Boston. Diverse of the elders were present, and a great assembly of the people. The deputy governor, coming in with the rest of the magistrates, placed himself beneath within the bar, and so sat uncovered. Some question was in the court about his being in that place, for many both of the court and the assembly were grieved at it. But the deputy telling them that, being criminally accused, he might not sit as a judge in that cause, and if he were upon the bench, it would be a great disadvantage to him, for he could not take that liberty to plead the cause, which he ought to be allowed at the bar. Upon this the court was satisfied. The petitioners having declared their grievances, etc., the deputy craved leave to make answer, which was to this effect, viz., that he accounted it no disgrace, but rather an honor put upon him, to be singled out from his brethren in the defense of a cause so just as he hoped to make that appear, and of so public concernment. And though he might have pleaded to the petition, and have demurred in law upon three points, one, in that there is nothing laid to his charge that is either criminal or unjust. Two, if he had been mistaken either in the law or in the state of the case, yet whether it was such as a judge is to be called in question for as a delinquent, where it doth not appear to be wickedness or willfulness, for in England many erroneous judgments are reversed, errors and proceedings rectified, and yet the judge is not called in question about them. Third, in that being thus singled out from three other of the magistrates, and to answer by himself for some things which were the act of a court, he is deprived of the just means of his defense. For many things may be justified as done by four, which are not warrantable if done by one alone, and the records of a court are a full justification of any act, while such record stands in force. But he was willing to waive this plea, and to make answer to the particular charges, to the end that the truth of the case and of all proceedings thereupon might appear to all men. Hereupon the court proceeded to examine the whole cause. The deputy justified all the particulars laid to his charge, as that upon credible information of such a mutinous practice, and open disturbance of the peace, and slighting of authority, the offenders were sent for, the principal by warrant to the constable to bring them, and others by summons, and that some were bound over to the next court of assistance, and others that refused to be bound were committed, and all this according to the equity of laws here established, and the custom and laws of England, and our constant practice here these fifteen years." and for some speeches he was charged with as spoken to the delinquents when they came before him at his house when none were present with him but themselves first he appealed to the judgment of the court where the delinquents may be received as competent witnesses against a magistrate in such a case 
then for the words themselves some he justified some he explained so as no advantage could be taken of them is that he should say that the magistrate could try some criminal causes without a jury that he knew no law of god or man which required a judge to make known to the party his accusers or rather witnesses before the cause came to hearing but two of them charged him to have said that it was against the law of god and man to do so which had been absurd for the deputy professed he knew no law against it only a judge may sometimes in discretion conceal their names etc lest they should be tampered with or conveyed out of the way etc two of the magistrates and many of the deputies were of opinion that the magistrates exercised too much power and that the people's liberty was thereby in danger another of the deputies being about half and all the rest of the magistrates were of a different judgment and that authority was overmuch slighted which if not timely remedied would endanger the commonwealth and bring us to a mere democracy by occasion of this difference there was not so orderly carriage at the hearing as was meet each side striving unseasonably to enforce the ordinance and declaring their judgments thereupon which should have been reserved to a more private debate as after it was so as the best part of two days was spent in this public agitation and examination of witnesses etc this being ended a committee was chosen of magistrates and deputies who stated the case as it appeared upon the whole pleading and evidence though it cost much time and with great difficulty did the committee come to accord upon it the case being stated and agreed the magistrates and deputies considered a part first the deputies having spent a whole day and not attaining to any issue sent up to the magistrates to have their thoughts about it who taking it into consideration the deputy always withdrawing when that matter came into debate agreed upon these four points chiefly first that the petition was false and scandalous two that those who were bound over etc and others that were parties to the disturbance at hingham were all offenders though in different degrees third that they and the petitioners were to be censured fourth the deputy governor ought to be acquit and righted etc this being sent down to the deputies they spent diverse days about it and made two or three returns to the magistrates and though they found the petition false and scandalous and so voted it yet they would not agree to any censure the magistrates on the other side were resolved for censure and for the deputies full acquittal the deputies being thus hard held to it and growing weary of the court for it began three may fourteen and break not up save one week till five july fifth were content they should pay the charges of the court after they were drawn to consent to some small fines but in this they would have drawn in lieutenant ames to have been fined deeply he being neither plaintiff nor defendant but an informer only and had made good all the points of his information and no offence founded him other than that which was after a judge worthy admonition only and they would have imposed the charges of the court upon the whole trained band at hingham when it was apparent that diverse were innocent and had no hand in any of these proceedings the magistrates not consenting to so manifest injustice they sent to the deputies to desire them to join with them in calling in the help of the elders for they were now assembled at cambridge from all parts of the united colonies and diverse of them were present when the cause was publicly heard and declared themselves much grieved to see that the deputy governor should be called forth to answer as a delinquent in such a case as this was and one of them in the name of the rest had written to him to that effect fearing lest he should apprehend over deeply of the injury etc but the deputies would by no means consent thereto for they knew that many of the elders understood the cause and were more careful to uphold the honor and power of the magistrates than themselves well liked of and many of them at the request of the elder and others of the church of hingham during this court had been at hingham to see if they could settle peace in the church there and found the elder and others the petitioners in great fault etc 
after this upon motion of the deputies it was agreed to refer the cause to arbitrators according to an order of the court when the magistrates and deputies cannot agree etc the magistrates named six of the elders of the next towns and left it to them to choose any three or four of them and required them to name six others the deputies finding themselves now at the wall and not daring to trust the elders with the cause they sent to desire that six of themselves might come and confer with the magistrates which being granted they came and at last came to this agreement viz the chief petitioners and the rest of the offenders were severally fined all their fines not amounting to fifty pounds the rest of the petitioners to bear equal share to fifty pounds more towards the charges of the court two of the principal offenders were the deputies of the town joshua hubbard and bozo and allen the first was fined twenty pounds and the other five pounds lieutenant ames to be under admonition the deputy governor to be legally and publicly acquit of all that was laid to his charge according to this agreement five july third presently after the lecture the magistrates and deputies took their places in the meeting-house and the people being come together and the deputy governor placing himself within the bar as at the time of the hearing etc the governor read the sentence of the court without speaking any more for the deputies had by importunity obtained a promise of silence from the magistrates then was the deputy governor desired by the court to go up and take his place again upon the bench which he did accordingly and the court being about to arise he desired leave for a little speech which was to this effect i suppose something may be expected from me upon this charge that has befallen me which moves me to speak now to you yet i intend not to intermeddle in the proceedings of the court or with any of the persons concerned therein only i bless god that i see an issue of this troublesome business i also acknowledge the justice of the court and for mine own part i am well satisfied i was publicly charged and am publicly and legally acquitted which is all i did expect or desire and though this be sufficient for my justification before men yet not so before the god who hath seen so much amiss in my dispensations and even this affair as calls me to be humble for to be publicly and criminally charged in this court is a matter of humiliation and i desire to make a right use of it notwithstanding i be thus acquitted if her father had spit in her face saith the lord concerning miriam should she not have been ashamed seven days shame had lined upon her whatever the occasion had been i am unwilling to stay you from your urgent affairs yet give me leave upon this special occasion to speak a little more to this assembly it may be of some good use to inform and rectify the judgments of some of the people and may prevent such distempers as have risen amongst us the great questions that have troubled the country are about the authority of the magistrates and the liberty of the people it is yourselves who have called us to this office and being called by you we have our authority from god in way of an ordinance such as hath the image of god imminently stamped upon it the contempt and violation whereof hath been vindicated with examples of divine vengeance i entreat you to consider that when you choose magistrates you take them from among yourselves men subject to like passions as you are therefore when you see infirmities in us you should reflect upon your own and that would make you bear the more with us and not be severe censurers of the failings of your magistrates when you have continual experience of the like infirmities in yourselves and others we account him a good servant who breaks not his covenant the covenant between you and us is the oath you have taken of us which is to this purpose that we shall govern you and judge your causes by the rules of god's laws and our own according to our best skill when you agree with a workman to build you a ship or house etc he undertakes as well for his skill as for his faithfulness for it is his profession and you pay him for both but when you call one to be a magistrate he doth not profess nor undertake to have sufficient skill for that office nor can you furnish him with gifts etc therefore you must run the hazard of his skill and ability 
But if he fail in faithfulness, which by his oath he is bound unto, that he must answer for. If it falls out that the case be clear to common apprehension, and the rule clear also, if he transgress here, the error is not in the skill, but in the evil of the will, it must be required of him. But if the case be doubtful, or the rule doubtful, to men of such understanding and parts as your magistrates are, if your magistrates should err here, yourselves must bear it. For the other point concerning liberty, I observe a great mistake in the country about that. There is a twofold liberty, natural, I mean, as our nature is now corrupt, and civil or federal. The first is common to man with beasts and other creatures. By this, man, as he stands in relation to man simply, hath the liberty to do what he lists. It is a liberty to evil as well as to good. This liberty is incompatible and inconsistent with authority, and cannot endure the least restraint of the most just authority. The exercise and maintaining of this liberty makes men grow more evil, and in time to be worse than brute beasts. Anis sumus licentia deteriores. This is that great enemy of truth and peace, that wild beast, which all the ordinances of God are bent against to restrain and subdue it. The other kind of liberty I call civil or federal. It may also be termed moral, in reverence to the covenant between God and man, in the moral law and the politic covenants and constitution amongst men themselves. This liberty is the proper end and object of authority, and cannot subsist without it, and it is a liberty to that only which is good, just, and honest. This liberty you are to stand for, with the hazard not only of your goods, but of your lives, if need be. Whatsoever crosseth this, it is not authority, but a distemper thereof. This liberty is maintained and exercised in a way of subjection to authority. It is the same kind of liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. The woman's own choice makes such a man her husband. Yet being so chosen, he is her Lord, and she is to be subject to him, yet in a way of liberty, not of bondage. And a true wife accounts her subjection, her honor, and freedom. It would not think her condition safe and free, but in her subjection to her husband's authority. Such is the liberty of the church under the authority of Christ, her king and husband. His yoke is so easy and sweet to her as a bride's ornament, and if though frowardness or wantonness, etc., she shake it off at any time, she is at no rest in her spirit until she take it up again. And whether her Lord smiles upon her and embraceth her in his arms, or whether he frowns or rebukes or smites her, she apprehends the sweetness of his love and all, and is refreshed, supported, and instructed by every such dispensation of his authority over her. On the other side, ye know who they are that complain of this yoke, and say, Let us break their bands, etc., we will not have this man to rule over us. Even so, brethren, it will be between you and your magistrates. If you stand for your natural corrupt liberties, and will do what is good in your own eyes, you will not endure the least weight of authority, but will murmur and oppose, and be always striving to shave off that yoke. But if you will be satisfied to enjoy such civil and lawful liberties, such as Christ allows you, then you will quietly and cheerfully submit unto that authority which is set over you, and all the administrations of it for your good. Wherein, if we fail at any time, we hope we shall be willing, by God's assistance, to hearken to good advice from any of you, or in any other way of God, so shall your liberties be preserved in upholding the honor and power of authority amongst you. Footnote. Winthrop's speech is fair-minded and good-tempered, though his soul was outraged at the democratic demands. In footnote. The deputy governor having ended his speech, the court arose, and the magistrates and deputies retired to attend their other affairs. Many things were observable in the agitation and proceedings about this case. It may be of use to leave a memorial of some of the most material, that our posterity and others may behold the workings of Satan to ruin the colonies and churches of Christ in New England, 
and into what distempers a wise and godly people may fall in times of temptation and when such have entertained some false and plausible principles what deformed superstructures they will raise thereupon and with what unreasonable obstinacy they will maintain them some of the magistrates had seriously conceived that the magistrates affected an arbitrary government and that they had or sought to have an unlimited power to do what they pleased without control and that for this end they did strive so much to keep their negative power in the general court this caused them to interpret all the magistrates actions and speeches not complying exactly with their own principles as tending that way by which occasions their fears and jealousies increased daily for prevention whereof they judged it not unlawful to use even extrema remedia as if salus populi had been now the transcendent rule to walk by and that magistracy must be no other in effect than a ministerial office and all authority both legislative consultative and judicial must be exercised by the people and their body representative hereupon they labored equus et velis to take away the negative vote failing of that they pleaded that the magistrates had no power out of the general court but what must be derived from the general court and so they would have put upon them commissions for what was to be done in the vacancy of the general court and some of themselves to be joined with the magistrates and some of the magistrates left out this not being yielded unto recourse was had to the elders for advice and the case stated with incredible weariness but the elders casting the cause against them as is before declared they yet believed or at least would that others should that the elders advice was as much for them in their sense as for the magistrates as if it were they had no cause to shun the advice of the elders as they have seemed to do ever since this project not prevailing the next is for such a body of laws with prescript penalties in all cases as nothing might be left to the discretion of the magistrates while in the meantime there is no fear of any danger in reserving a liberty for their own discretion in every case many laws are agreed upon some are not assented unto by the magistrates not finding them just then it is given out that the magistrates would have no laws etc this gave occasion to the deputy governor to write that treatise about arbitrary government which he first tendered to the deputies in a model and finding it approved by some and silence in others he drew it up more at large and having advised with most of the magistrates and the elders about it he intended to have presented it orderly to the court but to prevent that the first day of the court the deputies had gotten a copy which was presently read amongst them as a dangerous libel of some unknown author and a committee was presently appointed to examine it many false and dangerous things were collected out of it all agreed and voted by them and sent up to the magistrates for their assent not seeming all this time to take any notice of the author nor once moving to have his answer about it for they feared that his place in the council would have excused him from censure as well as the like had done mr saltonstall for his book against the standing council not long before but if they could have prevailed to have had the book censured this would have weakened his reputation with the people and so if one of their opposite had been removed it would somewhat have facilitated their way to what they intended but this not succeeding as they expected they kept it in deposito till some fitter season in this time diverse occasions falling out wherein the magistrates had to do in the vacancy of the general court as a french business the seizure of the bristol ship by captain stagg and of the dartmouth ship by ourselves as is before related in other affairs they would still declare their judgments contrary to the magistrates practice and if the event did not answer the council though it had been interrupted by themselves or others there needed no other ground to condemn the council all which tended still to weaken the authority of the magistrates and their reputation with the people then fell out the hingham case which they eagerly laid hold on and pursued to the utmost for they doubted not but they could now make it appear 
either that the magistrates had abused their authority, or else that their authority was too great to consist with the people's liberty, and therefore ought to be reduced within narrower bounds, in pursuit whereof it may be observed, first, that a cause orderly referred to a trial, at a court of assistance should be taken into the general court before it had received a due proceeding in the proper court, the like having never been done before, nor any law or order directing thereto, but rather the contrary. Second, that a scandalous petition against some of the magistrates should be received by the deputies, and the magistrates often pressed to consent to a judicial hearing, and to give way that the deputy governor should be called to answer thereupon as a delinquent, before any examination were first privately had about the justice of the cause third that the testimony and writing of the three chiefest officers of the commonwealth in a case probably committed to their trust should be rejected by a considerable part of the court as a thing of no credit fourth that the same part of the court should vote manifest contradictions and require assent to both fifth that being clearly convinced that the petition was false and scandalous and so voted they should yet professedly refuse to assent to any due censure six that they should receive the testimony of two of these whom themselves judge delinquents and false accusers and thereupon judge him the deputy governor an offender in words against his own protestation another testimony concurring and that in a matter of no moment and against common reason to be either spoken by him or believed by others in such a sense as were charged upon him seventh that a mutinous and seditious practice carried on with a high hand to the open contempt of authority attempting to make division in the town and a dangerous rent in the highest court of the jurisdiction should by such a considerable part of the same court looked at by others as the choice of the country for piety prudence and justice be accounted as worthy of no censure and in the conclusion not valued at so high a rate as some offences have been of private concernment arising of common affirmity eighth that this practice should hold forth in apprehension that liberty and authority are incompatible in some degrees so as no other way can be found to preserve the one but by abasing and abating the honor and power of the other nine that being entrusted with the care and means of the country's prosperity we should waste our time in their estimates and our own for the charges of this court came to three hundred pounds in such agitations as tend only to the discountenancing and interrupting the ordinary means of our welfare tenth that while we sympathize with our native country in their calamities and confess our own compliance with them in the provocations of god's wrath as in many days of humiliation and one even in the time of this court we should be hasting by all our skill and power to bring the like miseries upon ourselves eleven that boson allen one of the deputies of hingham and a delinquent in that common cause should be publicly convict of diverse false and reproachful speeches published by him concerning the deputy governor in the book he wrote about arbitrary government as that it was worse than gorton's letters that it should be burnt under the gallows that if some others of the magistrates had written it it would have cost him his ears if not his head and other like speeches and no censure set upon him for this only he was fined five pounds among others for their offences in general twelve it is observable that the deputies being so divided for of thirty-three there is only the odd man who carried it in most of their votes remembered at length the law they had agreed to in such cases viz that in cases of judicature they would not proceed without taking an oath etc whereupon the most of them took it amongst themselves quere quo jure but five of them came to the magistrates who administered the oath to them End of section twenty.